We are back with another episode of GFB Express. It has been a while. Noah said it was going to try to be a weekly thing. Turns out the offseason is a little complicated. Life gets a little busy. Uh, Jeff had to go back into the office every single day this week, as if it was 2019 or some bullcrap like that. But I'm here to do a solo show. Quick rundown of what's going on and where things are at. Obviously, our, we will be back with a draft recap episode next week if you are listening to this i'm recording it friday afternoon um there i think we'll i think we're gonna see if you're listening this friday afternoon right after i put it out i think we're gonna see a cougar drafted tonight uh john beck said on byu sports nation that he thinks jaron hall could go in the third round he's got a good feeling about that i think it's probably going to be closer to four or five but I don't know. There's people who took by John Robinson, B. John Robinson at number eight overall, even though they already have Tyler Algier in Atlanta. So who knows what's going on in the brains of these NFL GMs and coaches. But I think either between Freeland or Jaron, one of them is going to get drafted tonight so we can be happy. Um, last night was just a mess. I mean, the feeling I felt so bad for Will Levis. I don't know why the NFL every couple of years, they seem to invite somebody whose name is popular is some for some reason flying up the draft boards, but is still going to end up being a fringe candidate who's not going to get picked early. And they're awkwardly sitting there. And I saw on TikTok someone went through and tallied up everybody, uh, how, who, how many times they showed who, and they, he, they showed hit Levis like 30 some odd times and the next player. They showed eight. So it's just, it becomes a mockery and I feel bad for the kid that's sitting there. And uh, you know, it's every pick that goes by can just, count money flying out the window and it he should have never been there in the first place don't let anyone who tried to tell you that will levis was going to be a top five pick and was going to be a good quarterback and that he's the next josh allen don't let them try to tell you now that they never said that you need to mock them relentlessly forever anytime they try to share a draft take um so i but this is gfb express won't get too much into the weeds there on the nfl the biggest news in college football this week is 100% everybody talking about Deion Sanders and what is going on in Boulder, Colorado. Um, you know, he's had over 40 players, 35 players enter the portal since they had their spring game last weekend, including wide receiver uh, Montana Lamonius Cray, who was, I think, their second or third leading receiver last year. BYU offered him early as a sophomore in high school uh, coming out of high school he ended up signing with colorado um, but he also reported we were his very first offer he reported again that fessy reached out and offered him again so there's potential there um but he there's down to 11 someone had this that they're down to 11 scholarship returning scholarship players from last year so obviously there's an 85 scholarship limit he may have had like a couple you know a lot of times you have a guy drop out during camp or something happens. It's, you know, someone transfers late. So you end up with, you know, 83 scholarships or whatever it was. So they end up with, I mean, so they've had upwards of 75 scholarship guys leave, you know, probably 20 of those were to graduation and just being done with their careers. And then it's another upwards of 50 guys, 50 someone guys who, you know, were undergraduates in there. There've been, um, and so there's, the Bill Connolly added it up and he said all four quarterbacks who threw at least 20 passes, which makes sense. It is opening it primes opening press conference. He said, that's your quarterback and pointed to his son 
Shadur Sanders and who was the starter at Jackson State. So why, like, there's no way in hell if I'm a quarterback, I'm going to stay to even be in something remotely close to a battle against Deion Sanders' kid. Uh, three of five running backs, all nine receivers or players who had been targeted in tight ends who'd been t- targeted at least eight times. Five of their top eight offensive linemen, seven of their eight defensive linemen, all four linebackers that had at least 200 plus snaps and 12 of their 17 DBs that ever played a snap, which I get it. Colorado was not just bad last year. They, if I, let me pull up here, uh, 2022. Their margin of victory last year, I mean, it was embarrassing. They won a single game. They beat Cal in overtime, 12 to 13. But then their games was 38 13, 41 to 10, 49 17, 49 7, 45 17, 43 20. The one game they won, 20 to 13 to Cal, also awful. 49 42 34, 49 10, 55 17, 54 7, 63 21. So they were losing games by, you know, an average of 30 some odd points a game. So they, it's not like they were close. Things like when they were one and eleven, they were one and eleven. Even if you look back at that, you know, two thousand eight Washington team that went zero and twelve. You know, BYU played them. There's the Jake Locker throw the ball up in the air. He missed the extra point. I mean, they barely they almost knocked off BYU, who's finished ranked that season. You know, had a good year, won ten games. Uh, you know, that two thousand eight Washington football team. You know, they, yeah, they were zero and twelve, but they. You know, they had that BYU game. It's lost by one. Got stomped by Oregon, Oklahoma. Okay, whatever. But lost by Stanford to a touchdown. And then they only, they lost the Apple Cup by three points. So they had at least a couple games where they looked potentially somewhat competent, where they could end up at like three and nine. Didn't happen. Not happening. So I get that they needed a refresh. And I get that Colorado, you know, you can say, Obviously, he's bringing in guys, but how many starters can you really bring in? Like, if you're bringing in more than 20 transfers, somebody's going to have to be sitting on the bench. And if somebody is sitting on the bench, why were they going to transfer in? I mean, maybe if it's, you know, it's a Jake Retzleff situation, you want to look at, you know, played his junior college ball. California has got a redshirt available. He knows that Keaton Slovis is a one and done guy. He knows he's going to head into 24 being the guy in his job to lose in Provo next year. Okay, maybe he's fine with that. But if it's another college, but a lot of these guys, it's like he's just not going to, I mean, they're not the same kinds of guys that he is getting, you know, that he's pulling out. And so I think, you know, once you're looking at, he's brought in 40 some odd transfers there's guys that they're coming in to sit the bench and some of the guys that they're pulling, I saw one defense. Yeah, they lost their defensive line was God awful last year. They lost one, you know, they brought in seven guys or seven of eight guys or they lost seven of eight guys. And then, but some of the guys they brought in, it's like this Chaz Wallace dude, he was, I mean, his transfer rating, uh, as you know, his transfer rating out of high school, he was an 81 and, signed with Old Dominion over offers from Bowling Green, Akron, Temple, and Buffalo, and was a backup at a bad Old Dominion team. And that's who you're bringing in? Like, some of the guys are great. Like, yeah, Brandon Grant, 
great four high four star out of high school, borderline five star out of high school, went to Florida State. Awesome. I mean, obviously he got Cormani McLean and Travis Hunter, two best freshmen, you know, two of the best underclassmen corners in the country. Amazing. Like there's there are guys, dudes that he is pulling that are gonna be good. But how many of them really can there be? Because like another offensive lineman, like, yeah, you need new offensive lineman, that's fine, but is getting Jack Bailey, no offense to Jack Bailey, but is getting Jack Bailey, the 6'4", 290-pound uh, offensive lineman whose only offer out of high school was Kent State and he was a two-star prospect, is he really going to be, you know, I better look up Jack Bailey here because I have a feeling that he's probably actually going to be some diamond in the rough who ended up magically somehow being good at Kent State. So let me, before I put my foot in my mouth, let me hop on PFF. And take a look for Jack Bailey, Colorado offense. Yeah, no. His his freshman year at Kent State, his PFF rating was 23.9. Last 2021, 62.8. And then 61.2 was, and he, you know, it, that's not, if you look at the P, let me pull up, uh, let me pull up BYU's roster here for offensive linemen and see you know where uh, PFS being slow right now. Um, you know, it's not like you're pulling a borderline NFL prospect who was first team all Mac, whatever great, you know, great player. That's he was just fine. And so if we look at BYU's defense or offensive linemen, our lowest rated, okay, let's see, our tackles, Blake Freeland, 90.3, Kingsley, 75.2, and guards, uh, Harris Lachance, 67.5, Clark Barrington, 74.5, and center, uh, Connor Pay was a 74, so he would, that offensive lineman who Colorado's adding from the MAC would have been the worst offensive lineman at BYU in 2022 by far and is not close, you know, but yeah, then getting Demoy Kennedy, a linebacker from Alabama. He's a good player. So it's, it will be interesting to see how, you know, how this shakes out. And if it does work, it is going to completely change everything. And there is one thing, there's an article in the athletic about it of how Dion is doing this. Obviously it's, it, this is kind of a good example of unintended consequences or, uh, you know, externalities that happen when you can, the scene, but there's also the unseen anytime you change a rule or a policy and how people react. So in 2015, I believe the power five or the autonomous five conferences, they voted to say that they had to guarantee four year scholarships. So if you enrolled in school, you signed, you accepted an offer, you signed it, you enrolled in school, they could not kick you out of school or kick, they could not remove you from the team for athletic reasons. So coaches, then if they don't want somebody on their team, they either have to make their life awful. So everyone else gets to practice, but you just have to go run stadiums steps and you can go run for two hours and come back and you are never going to play, but yes, you can be here. So you gotta do that. Or they can, you know, say, Oh, well, we're going to your academic advisor. Hey, put them in, in these really hard classes where we know they're not going to stay eligible or be borderline eligible. You can do that or you just say, Hey, you are never going to play. It doesn't matter. Like you just kind of hate, you have to haze the kid out of the program 
because that's the only option that you have. And so, you know, that's the unintended consequences of things where you limit the options in, in an attempt to try to be nice and do something outside by the kid, you really leave extreme negative recourse. And then the transfer portal came around. And then with that, they said, okay, well, if a kid enters in the transfer portal, that is them signifying that they don't want to be there anymore. So we don't have to honor the scholarship anymore. So yes, if they come back, they can bring them, you know, they can put them back on scholarship. But once you enter your name in the portal, your former school owes nothing to you. However, there is a rule that was in like 2018 or something expanded to cover all sports. Initially it was just for basketball. Um, but it was to cover all sports and that was, uh, you could pull you could cut a player without and replace them as long as you kept paying for their school within 18 months of a new head coach being hired. So USC did this last year. I think there were seven or eight guys who were going to be seniors. They didn't want to grad transfer somewhere else. They just wanted, they said, you know, whatever, I'm going to ride the bench at USC. They don't want me on the team, but I can go. Yeah, I could go play at Fresno or Nevada or whatever. I'd rather just have a degree from USC, be done with it. I got one semester of school left or two semesters. To In order to cut a player this way, you still have to guarantee their academic, you know, paying for their schooling. So they got to stay in school on a scholarship. It just, they weren't on the football team anymore. Lincoln Riley did that to seven or eight guys last year. Nobody bad tonight. Lincoln Riley imported a bunch of players last year and pushed a bunch of players out from USC. Nobody really, people said, oh man, this is the new college football. Nobody's giving it the same treatment that they're giving prime. And part of that is because he's doing it like an order of magnitude bigger. So how much of it is, I mean, how much of it is that the culture was awful and needed to be replaced and how much of it is, you know, the, the guys, maybe he's laying it all on the table and the guys are seeing and saying, Hey, I'm not on board with what he wants to do, or there's maybe politicking or whatever. There've been other reports. I saw there was one report where a player from who went in and said, Hey, can I get practice? He went into the portal and went in and asked for practice film from last year. And they said, no, we're not going to give it to you. And it's like the only film, and we're definitely not going to give you practice film from this year because, and some people said, well, you know, last year it's a different coach, different system. Like what does it matter? Whatever, like give it to him because it's not there. So I was like, well, if, especially, I mean, I get if it's your current stuff, but if it's giving last year's film, whatever, and I listen around and it seems like that's just completely the culture. I mean, there's a couple of coaches that said like, no, we'll do everything we can to try to help you. And I think that's more of a recruiting tactic and they probably deep down really don't feel that way. But as I listen to, you know, other foot cultural ball shows with, former players this week, they were like, no way, dude. Like that's, I mean, one, there's only like one or two Colorado players that have said, said that they, there was one kid who said it. And then someone else replied and said, I didn't get mine either. Uh, but no one else seems to be having the problem out of like 60 guys that have transferred out. So that's one thing that's a little suspect. The second thing is that, you know, he, and ever, all these other players that have, you know, former players said like, no, you don't do that. Like, you have your iPad, you download your own film. You want your, you know, if you want film, like and you're thinking about transferring, you got to be buddy, buddy, go in and ask the film guy to give you a cut up. And so you can go out because if you just take the straight film, I guess the, the systems that they use now, it will put your 
you know, whatever the situation you were working on, who was on the field, what the down and distance was, what the exact play call was, and those things like that's kind of embedded on the film now and the systems that they use. So there is some work that they got to go through to prep it for you. And there's even someone else, a reporter who said that they asked around to call a few college coaches and will you do this, whatever, like, what do you think? And the college coach was like, well, no, we're not going to do it because we're not going to give away our own film of what we're doing in practice and how we run our practices, like game film that everybody can see. We want to keep hitting what we can feasibly keep hitting for one. But two, if the only thing you have to show me is game film, then that says more than enough. Like if you couldn't crack the field on a one in 11 team, then I don't want you. And you know, there's maybe like of these 50 guys that are going out of Colorado, maybe like six, 10 max are actually going to land at a P five school. So it's not like, they are going up and blowing up everywhere at an unnormal rate. There were a lot of bad, there's a lot of bad recruiting, which should terrify Michigan state fans because you know, that's a lot of these guys are dudes who Mel Tucker brought in. And I don't know why Colorado thought that hiring Carl Durrell as a replacement was also a good idea. But I think in the end, this experiment, it will last like two or three years. Cause it's going to be real interesting to see what the attitude is in Boulder when they start off one and four or whatever. And then it's going to, or if things go well, I think the only thing Deion Sanders cares about is coach prime. And if things go well, he's going to take the first offer out that door. Uh, news related to the big 12 and the pac 12. There was a video on three sixty five sports yesterday they covered and said that a supposed rumor that someone had sent them. Um, and I have asked around on this. I have, uh, spoken with people affiliated with that site and asked who the, uh, you know, if the person who had the rumor is legit and, you know, if they can be trusted and some other things. And they said, yeah, like this, uh, this person is legit. They've sent us things before they, it's someone supposedly connected somehow to the league office. Like he said that the, um, you know, that there was going to be, uh, you know, he said something about how he's, he's got connections. I don't know how or what or who he is, but they said he's legit. And there's only like two people who actually knows who he is. He kind of, he wants to remain anonymous. Obviously doesn't want to give up sources, but if whoever this guy is that sent this in to uh, 365 sports, and with which is great on YouTube. I mean, if you're a BYU fan, you've been on YouTube for the last two years since we got the invite. You know who they are uh, with David and Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina. Um, great guys, great show. Highly recommend it. So they the supposed offer is Apple will purchase the broadcast rights to 100% of Pac-12 games. The production will be done by the Pac-12 studios. So I mean, whether that's one way or the other, the Pac-12 is going to be paying for the content just the same way every other league is, right? In which the Pac-12 will probably, which a lot of G5 conferences do this, and they're usually in their TV deal. You know, if it's going to cost them, you know, two million dollars per school to broadcast the f- games, the schools and smaller conferences would rather, you know, they would rather say we're getting seven million dollars a year. And then we will pay for the production because then you can market the $7 million. So when they're trying to bridge the gap between the big 12 and try to catch the big 12, I would assume that any number that they have, they are going to be paying for the production costs because that on paper, then they can say that they have this more money. They sold it for, they sold it for $30 million a year. And so they're really close to the big 12, whatever, but the devil in the details is that 
Maybe ESPN and Fox are covering the production costs for the Big 12. The Pac-12 is footing those so that $2 million difference, public difference, is really like, you know, $8, $10 million or whatever it is. I don't know. So they would buy 100% of the games. They sell to ESPN one game a week. If you, for, you know, 13 games. So that gives 20% of their games are on linear. Already out the gate, that does not match what Arizona President Robert Robbins, which what a dumb name, uh, Bob Bobbins, um, he that said that you know where they need at least fifty percent on linear. Other issues: How are you going to figure out who gets to go on? Are you going to say every school has to have a minimum number of appearances? That ain't going to fly with Oregon and Washington, you know the two biggest brands that you have left. Are you going to say you're going to cap? You know, take the flip side and say no team can appear on this more than so many times. That's also not going to work. You have these competing interests because, I mean, if you're Oregon, you're the biggest brand in the room. You probably say, well, more often than not, we're going to get that one game. So maybe if I'm Oregon, I don't care about the money because we have Phil Knight. And like what I wrote about last week in our newsletter, the biggest and most valuable thing that Oregon and Washington have in relation to the Big Ten that the, the ACC doesn't have is that they are not locked up until 2036 in their TV deal and their grant of rights, which has never been broken. There's no precedence for breaking grant rights. So if you are Oregon, you say, what well, we can, the money is whatever. We don't care. We just want a short deal. We want it three years. We want it five years. We don't, we don't want to be tied up past 2030 at the absolute latest. And we want to have most of our games on TV. The money for Oregon is irrelevant because the comparison is that they're saying if the, you know, the opportunity cost of you lock in a longer deal. That's going to cost you more money when you have to buy your way out of it and get to the Big Ten. And that's you feel like you belong in the Big Ten. You feel like they're going to expand. They feel like they're going to come calling for you. You need to be ready to make the move. That's their mindset. I don't. I haven't talked to anyone in Oregon. No idea, but that I'm guessing, assuming, is their mindset. They don't care. But if you're looking at 13 games, the way you could maximize this is make you know you start, which you know sometimes there'll be a random week one conference game. Like last year, there's the Northwestern Nebraska game in Ireland. It was a conference big 10 game week one of the season. It occasionally happens teams. They seem to be doing that a little bit more now um, because some people want a break. You might see like a random sec game week one because they want, you know, that buy on SoCon Saturday where they normally play their FCS game before rivalry week, whatever they, they kind of shuffle their season around. If you did that 13 games, all of them are conference games that with 10 teams, that means each team can appear an average of 2.6 times a season out of their 12 game regular season on TV, their home games. Like that's, that's not, that's not it. That's not going to work. And you have, you know, it's 20% of their games. Cause if you say, if you impute an average of 65 home games, you know, 13 out of 65, that's, you know, five to one, whatever. Um, the math ain't mathin there. And so even if you say, okay, if Oregon says, well, I want to get on, you know, I, we think we're going to be on most of our games. We're going to be on there eight times. We're going to play two road non-conference games. Then we'll have two games that are streaming. Okay. That's fine. Now, if you're Washington, Oregon took up thir- eight of the 13 games at most, you are going to take, you're going to play Oregon once. So there's seven because, you know, eight minus one, because there's the game we played in there. So there's 13 minus seven. There's only six games left. Like there's six games potentially for Washington to play in. If 
Oregon is taking half of them. So that Washington now it's how do you split? Like it barely splits amongst two teams. Now you try to get a third mixing there. It just seems like there's going to be too many competing interests to finalize such a deal. If this is really what's on the table. And furthermore, then you have to say, okay, well, what is ESPN even going to get Apple even going to give to ESPN? You're going to try to tell ESPN and Apple, which ESPN just laid off 7,000 employees. Apple for like the first time ever or in a very, very, very long time is going to report a decrease in cash and for the second quarter in a row have an earning missing an earnings projection. And they, you know, how these two companies, two of the richest companies in the world who are always the top dog and always get to dictate their terms of what they want to do and how they want to do it. And, you know, when you, that's, you're going to try to say, well, no, you can't have, Apple's going to say, well, you can't have Oregon. And then ESPN's going to say, well, okay, well, what do I have then? You say, well, you can take the Oregon State games. And Cal and ESPN says, well, I'll pay you a hundred grand a game for that because I don't care about that. That's not going to do numbers for me. And so now you're trying to compete where the biggest brands want to be on TV. Everyone wants to be on TV. The biggest brands feel that they're entitled to be on TV. They don't want to sign a deal where they're behind the paywall. And ESPN is going to want the biggest brands if they're paying out for it. But Apple also wants those biggest brands because that's what's going to potentially drive some subscribership and viewership for them because nobody's going to be clicking out of their out of their cable box or whatever, flipping over into the Apple TV app to watch Cal and Washington State play. It's just not going to happen. So you have the, all of these competing interests where it feels like if this is the offer, and this is kind of the most concrete offer that's been on the table, and Jim Williams, the former executive who's won like seven or eight Emmys or whatever, uh, he was talking about on his Twitter account this morning about the, you know, a potential Apple offer and what it would entail. So it seems like there's some leaks coming out there that there's something to this. We'll see if the Sports Business Journal says something next week in their podcast, but it seems like there's some legs that this is you know, maybe the final offer that George Klavkov has put together close to it. So I think that in the next two or three weeks, we are going to see some resolution one way or the other, where either they announce a term sheet, even if it's not a final offer with Apple or whoever other partners involved, or some schools are going to pull the trigger and they're going to jump off because they say, look, even, I mean, even if you were Arizona, even if the money was the same, if you are Arizona, ASU and Colorado, where you know that brand wise you're towards the bottom of that pecking order and there's already limited potential you know that you're not going to be on tv unless you are playing oregon and maybe washington maybe and then lucky if you get one more game a year so you are saying maybe i'm going to be on three times a year or there's a standing offer on the table from the big 12 at some point someone's either going to have to sign a bad deal which is going to negatively impact their university and their program for the next half a decade you know or or decade five years or decade however long that is and then hope that somehow a situation the situation changes for the better or it takes to build and get on the lifeboat i don't know what they're going to do but i feel like looking at the timing of it, because they, I mean, USC and UCLA, they announced on June 30th last year because that was the day that they had to announce by in order to avoid paying a financial penalty for leaving in 2024. Now, if they sign a deal, it's going to kick in after this year. So it will start July 1st of 2024. There'll be a new grant of rights. 
they have to like July, June 30th. That is like the drop dead of drop dead dates where they got to either sign, like they're either committed and are going to sign this thing or they're gone. And so it kind of feels like the first two weeks of May, you know, that gives you some time in that range to announce it. That gives you six weeks to figure out all your legal stuff. Cause this is kind of a weird situation where you're trying to make a clean break as soon as, you know, the conference deal is up and it's you know, whatever it is, then I, th- I think we're going to see some resolution. I just want there to be some resolution so one way or the other, you know, but that's where the PAC 12 and big 12 are at. Uh, some other notable changes, uh, Tyler Buckner, the quarterback from Notre Dame, he transferred to be with his offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, who's at Alabama. But honestly, both of these things do not make sense to me. I mean, Tommy Reese is young. I f- feel like Nick Saban, he, I mean, he missed the playoff for the second time ever in a decade, you know, is the dynasty is over, but it actually kind of feels like the dynasty is kind of winding down. I don't see Tommy Reese as the answer for their offensive coordinator. They've got like 18 four-star quarterbacks on their roster and they still have to go out and get Tyler Buckner, who was not great in Notre Dame. It's a little suspect. Um, Other football changes, you know, or kind of NCAA things, rule changes. The clock's now going to run after a first down like the NFL. This is kind of honestly not that big of a deal because they'll still be first downs or, you know, they'll still be, it's after a first down, but if you run out of bounds, there's still the rule that the clock runs once they set the ball after you run out of bounds inside the last two minutes. So that's going to happen a lot. So this is not going to shave that much time. I think the projections that is that they are going to shave like four minutes of game. It's going to be like 10 plays a game which is nothing. It's going to be like four minutes. The issue with college football is that the time varies wildly. You have games going over four hours. You have games that are like three hours and 15 minutes. Biggest issue though, in the average difference is between the average college football game and the average NFL game is about 12 minutes, but the NFL has a 12 minute halftime and the college football has a 20 minute halftime because of the band. So there's eight minutes of the length of the game is just from the added halftime that the NFL doesn't use. So they're trying to speed it up and get it more in line which makes it, you can complain about it and think it's dumb, but also you complain about how long the games are. And you complain about games running over and you have to scramble to go find the game on ESPN News and you immerse the first the kickoff in the first four plays of the game. So there's the frustrating things like that that you just have to deal with and are part of life. And yes, they could cut down on the commercials or do less of them, but they're paying the bills and that's never going to change. So it is what it is. As long as they, they should just outlaw the touchdown commercial extra point. Cause there was a penalty or they review the touchdown commercial kickoff commercial. Now we're back again. Like they got to get rid of that. That's too taking like a, a legitimate when you have a two, three minute breaks in there within a, with one extra point in between, you can't pause for seven and a half minutes where the only thing of real clock, where the only thing has had that's happened is an extra point. Um, and then the whack a sun, which I think they wanted to combine under the United football conference, apparently in 2020. Well, so this is a known thing for you cannot for football FBS conference or division one conferences. You cannot have a football only division one conference. That's why the big East became their mess because they were a basketball conference. Some of the schools sponsored football, but not all of them. The schools that sponsored football were independent because they didn't have enough teams to sponsor thing. Instead of making a football conference, they invited a bunch of schools and said, okay, come be, come be here. And even Virginia tech was football only for a decade in the big East before they joined for all the other sports, whatever. 
at lower levels, this happens. The FCS has the Missouri Valley Football Conference where North Dakota State, South Dakota State, North Dakota, South Dakota, like Southern Illinois, all those. It's pretty much it's the SEC of FCS. And then you also have the Pioneer Football League, which is kind of a weird carve out because it's a conference that is non-scholarship. Um, so you have those. and But the WAC ASUN said that they wanted to do that. And they'd already, the last two years, they the WAC and the ASUN had each played a mixed schedule of conference games and kept their own standings. And their winner that they declared the winner got an automatic playoff bid. They said they want to formalize that into an official single sport conference and kind of just, you know, make it more formal and be able to keep some, like you could have records, official records and do some other administrative things. Just not a big deal. Uh, the NCAA shot that down and said, no, sorry. In 2020, we enacted a single sport conference moratorium. That thing expires on June 1st of this year. So they could apply again in a month and see what happens. But it's, I just don't understand why the NCAA continues to do this. They did the same thing with James Madison who went eight and three, won the Sunbelt Conference Championship last year, a share of it. They didn't get to go to a bowl game because they're in transition. They applied for a waiver and they didn't get that again. The NCAA shut it down because there is the two-year transition period where it's. I get that it's trying to prevent schools from moving up and then being like, oh, actually, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought. We didn't really want to do this. I don't. Let's just drop back down to D2. And then they waste a bunch of time and money. They're trying to prevent that by saying, if you move up, we're going to penalize you for two years to move up. Flip it around. Punish the people who made the wrong choice. Don't don't punish the guy who made the right choice. Flip it around. Say, you can move up. Yes, you're eligible right away. That's fine. But if you move down within five years or 10 years, whatever it is, you're not going to have a two-year transition period going downward. Like You're going to have a two. It's going to be, if you move back down to D2 within 10 years, you can't go to the postseason for four or five years and, and push it. Yes, there's the potential then that teams stay for too long at you know that level, whatever. But that's you know fine. If you're going to punish someone, punish the guy who made the wrong choice, not making things harder for people who want to do the thing that's best for them. So it's stupid. Something to keep an eye on because it's probably, I imagine maybe they're not going to extend the moratorium because they or they're going to, and that's why they voted it down. But if they don't extend it, and so the literally the only thing that happens is this United Football Conference, whatever they're calling it, is going to have to apply again in six weeks, and then it gets approved because the moratorium is over. It will officially be the stupidest administrative thing the NCAA has ever done, which is truly saying something. Um, that is it for this week. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Uh, we did run a billboard in Utah County this week, so hopefully if you saw it, cool. Um, we saw one person snapped a picture of it. Thank you, Tyler Keel, for doing that. I think that was who it was. Um, And until next week, you fine ladies and gentlemen, give them hell.